Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Well, hello, fancy seeing you here. Welcome to Gagan Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I am, rather unusually, your host for this edition. And can I just say how delighted I am to be back in the seat of heat for what will arguably be the most important of these podcasts because we are looking back at the entirety of the title race. My name is Hal Stewart and I am very pleased to welcome guests today, the man behind the Football Grad Network, Network, Manu Vet. Manu, how are you? I'm tired, man. I, I mm. had a game on Wednesday in Vancouver. I flew all the way over here to, to Germany, said hello, goodbye to my parents, uh, flew to Köln, then took a train to Gladbach, saw Dortmund not lift the title, and then I'm back here. Oh, fantastic. You've had quite the uh, few days. It's, it's also fantastic as well for me to be speaking with you again because it's been quite a while. Regular listeners to this podcast will know it's been months, months and months and months, absolutely, since I was uh, last here in for Bryce, who's probably doing some CrossFit powerlifting convention of eating oats and just getting bigger than I can ever dream of becoming. Also, Chris Williams is with us, beat writer, broadcaster, bald. Hello, Chris. I did actually put beautiful on the end there, but you chose not to read that out. So thanks for that, Hal. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want the mystery of, for the dear listener, uh, not knowing that we have a document with pretty much everything that I'm saying already <laughs> written on it. Uh, but you have just completely shattered that illusion. So yes, Chris Williams, a beautiful Liverpudlian man. And Matthew Marshall, a German football expert who is from Australia. And when you think German football, you want an Australian on the case. Matthew, how have you been, dear sir? Very good, Hal. Enjoying uh, the season. It's almost over. And uh, very nice to hear your dulcet tones again on the podcast. Oh, please carry on. Say more nice things. (laughs) Um, I'm looking forward to this one. Let's get cracking. Absolutely. I couldn't have put it better myself, so I won't add anything to that other than saying the Bundesliga results. Let's just look at match day. Can you believe it? 34. It seems like only last week it was match day 33. Uh, We had an enormous game, the two big ones really, Bayern Munich against Frankfurt and Borussia Mönchengladbach. They welcomed Borussia Dortmund. If Dortmund won and Bayern lost, that could have meant that we actually saw Dortmund take the title. So Manu, do you just want to run down some of the key results for us my friend oh usually that's your job but yeah i'll do it um so yeah bayern let's start with bayern shall we bayern um yeah they made it made it very tight and just hammered frankfurt 5-1 instead of 10-1 
Um, and then Gladbach, of course, lost to Dortmund in a game that didn't really matter very much. Um, you know, after it was 5-1 for Bayern after about five minutes. Of course, it was a bit more more tight than that. But yeah, so those are the two key results. We got Schalke, Stuttgart 0-0. Zero, zero. I bet you everyone was watching that. Hertha 1, Leverkusen 5. Bremen 2-1 against Leipzig. Another game didn't matter what much. Uh, Freiburg 5, Nürnberg 1. Mainz 4-2 against Hoffenheim. That was a result with some implications. And then this one, this one, Hall. 8-1 for Wolfsburg over Augsburg. I did enjoy that result a lot. Um, I'm, of course, completely impartial when it comes to Augsburg, but I did enjoy this result a lot. Düsseldorf beating um, Hannover 2-1. You know, um, I know you had a little bit of a run-in with some Düsseldorfians. So, uh, <laughs> Düsseldorfians. I didn't realize that was the collective. I want to actually just shout them out because I told them to make sure they were listening to this episode. You're absolutely right. My car got stuck. I sent you guys a, a picture in a sand dune and I couldn't get out. We're talking two hours. Uh, loads of people drove past. The Finally, two gentlemen who in Spain happened to be from Düsseldorf pulled over and offered to help and they got the car mats out, the foot mats, put them underneath the wheels, got in, put it in reverse, flagged down six other chaps, and we all pushed it out. Absolutely incredible because I was completely stuck and I wouldn't have made it, most crucially, for this podcast. So from uh, all the way here in Gibraltar, saying thank you to those two Dusseldorfians. I only remember one of the guys' names, and that was uh, Toby. And that's terrible of me, isn't it? But, you know, uh, it was hours ago. And I'm getting old. So let's look at the Bundesliga title race in some detail. The drama, the goals, the champions. It's very easy at the start of the season to predict that Bayern Munich will win the league. Uh, when they actually go and do it, you might just say, looking in the history books, oh, they won it again. But it was far from that and actually been quite a tumultuous season for their manager. So, uh, Chris, do you want to start with just looking back on uh, that game and Manu as well? Because I know for those of you that were actually there, this was a, a really incredible result. 5-1 against a team that really didn't turn up. Yeah, and it was a shame they didn't turn up because they've had such a fantastic season. So it would have been nice, I think, and we all would have enjoyed had Frankfurt qualified themselves for the Champions League. But unfortunately, um, yeah, they didn't turn up and, and Bayern won 5-1. And that maybe should have been the scoreline after 15, 20 minutes. Uh, Gnabry and um, Lewandowski both missed real good opportunities after Koeman had scored. Um, but then even when Bayern were put under a little bit of pressure um, at the start of the second half and Sebastian Haller grabbed a great goal. Um, it was literally two minutes after and, and they were ahead again. So there was no real pressure. I, I did the thoughts for um, fushballstat.com after that and, and that was the opening one pressure. What pressure? Because Bayern simply blew them away. Um, I don't know if it was just the very end of a very long season for Frankfurt, they've been playing Thursday um, and then either Sunday, Monday. So it becomes a bit of a, a drudge um, for teams. And we see teams throughout Europe, maybe they get to the latter stages of the um, Europa League and, and their league form falls off a little bit about that. And that's obviously happened in England with Arsenal have to win that competition now in order to qualify for the Champions League. Cause they're out of the top four. So um, I think it's, it's, replicated itself in Germany but yeah they were hammered and really we would have liked to have seen maybe a 2-2 or a 3-3 and and what could Dortmund do but um, Dortmund kept their end but Bayern were just simply far too good and for all the problems Bayern have had this season I think the last month or so and probably after they 
demolished Dortmund 5-0 as well in the um, Allianz. It, they've just gone from strength to strength. And there was one person who had a little bit of a smile on his face, quite rightly, and, and that was Niko Kovac. But despite winning the league and despite being in the Pokal next Saturday, there's still some real big questions over his future. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's still there in the start of June. You know, Chris, it was really interesting following that game from Borussia Park in Mönchengladbach because it was almost like that game mattered more than the game that was actually played in that stadium because both teams or both sets of fans were looking to the Allianz Arena sort of hoping that one of the two teams would beat the other one, right? Because Gladbach needed a result from Bayern to increase the Champions League hopes and Dortmund, of course, needed Eintracht Frankfurt to beat Bayern in order for them to win the title. And um, it, it was such an odd atmosphere because every time a Bayern scored, you could hear everyone, of course, was listening on the radio, on the radio conference, right, that they have here in Germany in the stands. And you could hear sort of um, almost like a wave crescending through the, the stands where the Gladbach faithful were. And it would just go... And then the result would come on the scoreboard, right? And, it, and then it would just erupt every time when uh, Bayern scored. And then vice versa, when, when Haller scored, that gave them that brief moment of hope because it was really just a brief moment of hope. And we couldn't, of course, see that Bayern were absolutely hammering Frankfurt. We only saw the, the, the results being displayed. Um, you saw the same end at the Dortmund. Before they even displayed the result, you could hear all of a sudden, you know, the, all the chants, like... Deutschlandmeister with nur der BVB and all that stuff. And it was really interesting to watch a game through the sets of faces that was taking place 400 miles south in a different stadium. Well, yeah, I went through that myself last weekend, so I can understand it. And it would, probably would have been very interesting to watch. But, um, yeah, unfortunately for Dortmund and um, fortunately for um, Gladbach, uh, Bayern did the business. And I think it was really fitting for both Robin and Ribery to have a big say in the end of this. I felt quite sad for Rafinha who couldn't get on because Goretzka was injured early and, and the score was still, um, although the game was probably looked out of Frankfurt's hand, the score was still tight. So uh, Renato Sanchez went on and the three substitutions that Kovac made all scored. So it was a great day, but I'm really pleased for, for those two in particular that they managed to grab a goal at the end. Probably a little disappointing for Robin that he couldn't grab his 100th. Um, but mm. he, he leaves the club a legend. Well, in fact, all three of them will leave the club as legends. Yeah, the, Frank Ribery, of course, has uh, shared so many great moments. He shares my face as well. And uh, yeah, the end of an era for the two that, if we talk about Ribery and Robin, they define the club and the Bundesliga like no other players in recent years. Uh, Manny, when you think of Ribery and Robin, what's going to come to mind as you look back, maybe not just now, but in many years to come? You know, I remember like yesterday when uh, Ribery signed for Bayern and they unveiled this huge poster in front of the um, Amalien Church, Amalienkirche, in, um, in, across from the residence where the, the royal family used to live. And there was a huge poster of Frank Ribery. In, it was sponsored by Nike, right? Who sponsored um, Ribery and not by Adidas, which cost some... Uh, eyebrows be braced in the Bayern's uh, front staff, but it showed him in sort of the King Ludwig, the mad King Ludwig kind of dress up, and the big line said, Bavaria has a king again, right? 
And um, that was a lot of weight to put on him back in 2007. But you look back, and I read this crazy statistic. He's won 23 titles with Bayern over the last 12 years. As many as only Oliver Kahn. They're the only two that have won that many titles. So, you know, that... That it was the starting point. And then, of course, when they added Robin in 2009, uh, funnily enough, I was living in Amsterdam at the time when they added him um, and heard the news on, on Dutch radio. Um, and I had to sort of check if I got the, tra the translation right because I was just learning Dutch at the time. And I was like, there's no way they signed him. And they, they did. Um, it was big news back then because, he, of course, he came from Real, right? And Bayern were a club that was not the club that they were today. They were a club that was sort of like Ajax is right now, right? They were a club sort of trying to regain their former glory. And they did just that with those two. I mean, they defined the probably the club's biggest era since the 1970s. And that is that means something because we're talking about players like Beckenbauer and Müller and Breitner, right? That defined that era. They're going to be in that same vein they're going to be those kind of players they're, they're giants you know they're going to be with Lahm and Schweinsteiger and now Robben and Ribéry those will be those four pillars of the side that won the treble in 2013 and also defined this era of you know started this era and saw out this era of winning seven titles in a row and Matthew do you have any personal reminiscences of watching or covering Frank Ribéry and Arjen Robben Nothing that really stands out, you know. I, I think it was very nice for them both to get on the score sheet here. All that was missing was was Serge Gnabry, and he had that goal ruled out early on. That would have been perfect to have the two incumbent wingers get on the score sheet before the two guys who are departing. But you know, you have to congratulate Bayern Munich, who who came back from nine points down this season. You know, they they did really well in in the in the tail end of the season, despite going out of the Champions League at home against Liverpool. I remember that I was at that game in Mönchengladbach where they won 5-1 and they really turned it on that day and that was really a turning point. That was just at the beginning of March and um, you know, they had some really big wins after that. Most of them at home. You remember they smashed Wolfsburg 6-0. They beat Mainz 6-0. Had a bit of a scare against Heidenheim but then they crushed Dortmund 5-0 as we all remember and then another five goals here and um, you know, Niko Kovac slowly sorted it out. There wasn't a whole lot to sort out really but, you know, getting Thiago back when he was missing, that, that coincided with their, their poor run of form, of course, when they lost against Hertha and Gladbach earlier in the season. But, you know, we have to congratulate Bayern. Overcoming nine points is no easy feat, but they, they, they showed their experience and their class and they got it done. And this transition now from, as we said, Ribéry to Robin has been made quite easy for Kovac with Coleman coming back from injury and showing us what he can do on a quite consistent basis. And, of course, Serge Gnabry uh, improving all the time. He's, he's got a lot of improvement. Well, they both do. They're, they're both so young. They've got a lot of improvement, and I'm sure we'll be seeing them step it up in, in the next few years. And who knows if they can emulate Robin and Ribery. It's going to be fantastic to see if they can. And, of course, we've got you know, Alfonso Davies waiting in the wings and, and perhaps one uh, another winger coming in in the off-season. So all I can say is congratulations to Bayern, seven in a row. Um, you know, there's, there's a few issues you could obviously have with Bayern off the field, but this is just a time to say congratulations and well done. And as I said, congratulations. I, I felt a bit sorry for Kovac at time in between this little tug of war, you know, in, with, between the hierarchy there and a lot of speculation on his future. I, I, I think it's, it's a bit sad. 
You know, he's, he's won the league. He's got a chance to win the Pokal, get the double. As I said, going out to Liverpool was disappointing, but at the end of the day, they're a quality side. Liverpool, they're in the final for a reason. And all in all, I think he's done quite well this season. You know, let me just add to that real quick, because I, I 100% agree with you, Matt. Um, this was actually the second-best Rückrunde in the history of the club. The only time that they had a better Rückrunde the second half of the season was when they won the treble. So, you know, Kovac getting a lot of pressure from all sides, as you pointed out, Matt. And he did, he delivered in the second half of the season under the most difficult circumstances. Like, what, what a second half of season they played. It's incredible. Well, central midfield is key, as you guys know. And, yeah. you know, Tolisso went down early on in the season. He's hardly featured all year. Of course, I just mentioned when Thiago was out, that, that coincided with their poor run of form. We saw Harvey Martinez play quite well, but, you know, Kovac lost a bit of faith in him after that Stuttgart result, but then he came back and he was an important part of some of their big results. And, of course, you've seen now Leon Goretzka come in and, and, and play that role. So losing, losing central midfielders is, is never easy. That was the thing that really held Bayern and Kovac back. But really, when you look at it, the back four basically picks itself. And then, you know, you've got your, your wingers there, obviously Lewandowski, Muller, I guess he's better in that central position in, in a 4-2-3-1. So there wasn't a whole lot for Kovac to do, but, you know, doing well, as I said, because you can't underestimate how important your central midfielders are, especially when you've got guys, the class of, uh, of Thiago, especially. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And uh, we had a comment that I was looking at, and we know we've all had a little think over this already from uh, Twitter. Why do other clubs not unify against Bayern when you think about what they've done in a rebuild year? I mean, crikey, nine points they caught up with. And uh, Chris, I'm going to want your thoughts after Manu on this one, if that's all right. So, Manu, I know you've got something to say on this one. Yeah, actually, we, Chris and I have discussed this before, um, off, off the pod. So, you know, people... I, I get these comments a lot from, especially living in North America. It's like, why, like, why do clubs not make sure that Bayern don't win the title? Well, a Bayern do a very good job at what they do. You know, they earned all of these title credentials and the money on their own credence. They they had to work very hard for it. There's no rich billionaire that came in and financed the whole operation. And other than that, like, I mean, we look at you look at Gladbach. Um, they had something to play for themselves. You know, every the, the fans of the different clubs in the Bundesliga. They look only at themselves, at their own club. When I walked through Gladbach yesterday, there were signs everywhere, let's go and get the Champions League spot. It's not like, oh, we want to stop Bayern to win the title, so we're just going to roll over and let Dortmund win it. That's not how this works. That's not how individual fan bases look at the club. And they, A lot of fans don't even care who wins the title. They only look at their club and they want the maximum success of their own club in Germany, you know, the community that the club is anchored in. So if you're a Gladbach fan, you want Gladbach to finish as high as possible. And there's realism enough to know that that's probably just going to be a Champions League spot and who's going to win the title in the end of the day. Gladbach fans don't care. And that's the truth for 90% of all clubs in Germany. So, you know, if Bayern win the title seven times in a row, that might be boring for television companies trying to sell the, the product, Bundesliga product to the North American market, but for the individual fans of the clubs that have grown and grown up with their clubs, it doesn't really play a role unless their club is a part of that title race, like it was for Dortmund. Of course, Dortmund fans cared, but you know, it's not like that all the other clubs are going to say, oh, we want Dortmund to win because it's good for the Bundesliga. That's just not how it goes. And that was like one comment I got on Twitter. I'm like, well, 
you know, I, I don't think Gladbach fans really care if Dortmund or Bayern win the title because they just want to get as high as possible in their own standings. And I know, Chris, uh, we've chatted about this in the past because like, clubs st- in Europe, if you grow up in, with your club, you, you only really see your own club, nothing really else. Yeah, and I don't, people, I don't know what people expect. This season for me was a lot better because we have seen instances in the past where certain clubs will just write these two games off a season against Bayern and go, well, you know what, we're probably not going to beat them. So we'll just go, we'll just see what can be done in this particular game. And it normally ends up in a five or six nil demolition. And that didn't happen earlier on in the season. I think when it started to go a little bit wrong for Bayern is in that um, October Fest derby when they drew against Augsburg. And then that then gave the impetus for Hertha and both Gladbach to go, oh, this Bayern side are a little bit rocking and maybe we can attack them. And, and that carried on really until um, they dropped out of the Champions League. And I think everybody at Bayern knew that once they're out of the Champions League, they had to deliver both these trophies that were left up for grabs and, and they kicked into a different gear and okay yeah they battered Hanover 4-0 and then they absolutely destroyed Wolfsburg and Mainz back-to-back 12 goals in two games and they beat Gladbach before that 5-1 as well so you know that is a lot of goals inside of three games but then they were tested again by Freiburg um, and then the team that collapsed against them probably the worst was Dortmund in the Allianz Everyone was hoping for a bit of a title fight and, and it just dissolved in front of them, really. Um, and Nuremberg and, and Leipzig had a go as well. So I've seen it improve this season. But yeah, you're quite right. You, you can't just say, oh, we're going to let someone else win the league. I don't think that anybody would want that. And you're quite right. There's, there's battles going on underneath Bayern and whoever it is fighting for the title, be that Leipzig or be that Dortmund. Um, or even be that glad back at one point. There's other little battles going on, like who's going to finish in the top four, who's going to finish in the top seven, who's going to, you know, who's going to get themselves out of danger and not finish 16th. So there is a lot to play for. Um, I think I was just disappointed after um, the Hertha game where they where they just about won one nil. The teams after that rather fell apart, but but we saw it it change a little bit towards the end of the season. And as Matthew's already said, you can't do anything but congratulate Bayern because they had to overturn that points deficit and they put Dortmund to the sword and they never really looked back after that. Um, they dropped points at Nuremberg, which probably they shouldn't have done. And then Leipzig, you, I think you're always going to drop points at some point against your top three teams and, and that's what Leipzig are. So they're, they're a top three side. So... They went out and, and did exactly what they needed to do. So there can be no complaints in the end. And Manu's already said it was a, you know, the best second half of the season they've had for a long time. So I'll be surprised if, if Kovac is, is kicked out. And if he is kicked out, um, I think it shows that maybe there's a little bit much, uh, there's a little bit too much power in the dressing room where I don't think the power balance should be. I think the power balance should be with the, the staff, not the players, because at the end of the day, players should be doing what they're told yeah and players come and go and also kids look it up there was a time when in league in france leon won it every single season for a spell nothing lasts forever and actually i do want manu your thoughts on bayern yes we've said they won in a rebuild year but what about next season for the title will it be harder with these youngsters coming in some of them or, or will it actually be easier do you think 
I think it's going to be just as difficult. Um, I think this year was really difficult for them. And um, as Chris and Matt said, congratulations. And I think they recognize how difficult it was because this championship celebration was a lot more enthusiastic than the last few years where, you know, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, here we're going to collect the title in February, done. Um, so they really celebrated this title. And I think they were really pushed by by everyone in this league, you know, even even when they dropped out of the Champions League, yes, they battered some sides, but Nuremberg got points of them, Leipzig got points of them, Freiburg got points of them. Some teams really pushed them really hard. And I think for them it was hard work. And I think it was actually a good thing for the league that the league played out the way it did. And it's probably a good thing for Bayern. I think they're going to be pushed quite hard next year too because losing personalities like Ribery and Robin, yes, you can replace their quality. And Matt pointed that out. There is some very good young players on the side. But also you have to replace those personalities. And then there's question marks behind Ro um, Hummels, question marks behind Jerome Boateng. I, I did an article on com on Lucas Hernandez and I looked at Boateng's and Hummels' numbers even this year. Uh, they're some of the best centre-backs in the world still and they had off years and they're probably never going to be on the level that they once were. But even this year, their numbers were phenomenal and that's going to be hard to replace uh, personality-wise, but they have to do it. So I don't see it a lot of people are saying okay Bayern are going to spend around 200 million euros and that's going to fix all their problems I don't think it's going to be quite that easy because you look at the players that come in some come in with injuries Benjamin Pavard had a difficult year at Stuttgart um, you look at maybe Callum Hudson-Odoi was going to come in well he just ripped his Achilles right uh, those they are bringing in young players with a lot of talent but not necessarily players that will help them fill the void that's left. So I think next year is going to be just like this year, only that I not only see Dortmund, but I also see RB Leipzig pushing for the title next year. And so I think it's going to be the same as this year, maybe even more exciting. Excellent. I mean, with Dortmund, maybe when you've described it like that, they might be rubbing their hands with glee and thinking, well, if we don't mess up with a nine point lead, it could be for us next season. I mean, when you look at this with Dortmund, do you see a lost opportunity or was it ultimately expected that Bayern would once again reclaim the throne? Um, yeah, so I, I can only say what people said in Gladbach yesterday, and I'm really curious also what Chris and Matt have to say about this. I'm, I think it is a lost opportunity uh, because if you have a nine-point lead, you want to bring it home. I don't think they lost it in that game in Munich. Um, you can lose in Munich. It happens to a lot of teams around Europe. I mean, ask Arsenal. They went there every time and got beaten 5-0, 6-0, etc. Even Manchester City at one point just got absolutely steamrolled there. It happens to the best of sides in Europe. So I, I think that can happen. But they lost it to Düsseldorf. Um, the, the points that they dropped against Bremen, the Revier derby was a big one for me. Those three points, you look back now, that would have been enough, right, for them to win the title. So it is a bit of a lost opportunity, but you have to remember, and I sound like a broken record because I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, no one in Dortmund expected them to be where they are at the end of the season. And I almost, I, I like the analogy. I talked to someone from Kicker yesterday from the magazine, one of the reporters, and he said, look, if this would have been the other way around, let's say they had played the Rückrunde, the, like if they had played the Hinrunde like the Rückrunde, you know, some inconsistent results, still a good point total of 34 points, and then played the, the second half of the season like the, the first half of the season, everyone would have said, look the progress that they've made. Look how Fabre is bringing in this new style of football, and look how all of a sudden the pieces are falling into place. Because 
this is a transition year just like it is was for Bayern right even more so maybe because they lost a lot bigger pieces so I think it is an opportunity lost in some ways but on the other hand when you look at the point total it's it's this third best point total in history so you know it's it's in a season where they didn't have any expectations and um, I think you have to always put everything a little bit into perspective but I'm really curious what, what Chris and Matt have to think say about this too because um, it's it's a bit I feel a bit two-sided about it Matthew would you like to leap in first yeah sure I think through the Hinderunda I was I was saying all the time that they were ahead of schedule you know that that's what I kept saying uh, when they were you know, pushing Dortmund and inching ahead of, uh, sorry, inching ahead of uh, Bayern Munich, that, that no one expected them to be in that position. They had a really young team. They had a lot of new recruits. They had a new manager. But in saying all that, I, 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 I'm still sort of swaying back and forth, but I still can't help feel that they, they blew this opportunity. You know, I remember being at that game against Hoffenheim when they were 3-0 up at home, and, and they completely bottled it and threw that away. That obviously came after the, the, the exit in the DFB Pokal, where they led a few times against Werder Bremen, also at home. And then, of course, straight after that, they went to uh, London and you know, pretty much fell apart in the second half against Tottenham Hotspur. And so I, I can't help but feel that they, they've thrown this away. The Revier derby, they should have won that. You know, the, um, as I said, the game against Hoffenheim. But it's difficult to be critical considering, as I said, that they were so far ahead of schedule. And probably when you look at it rationally, that the Dortmund hierarchy probably just brought Lucien Favre in just to steady the ship for the next few years and develop some of these youngsters. I think that, that that's probably their long-term thinking, and they didn't have many expectations. But I still think, despite not having many huge expectations at the beginning of the season, that once you build up a nine-point lead then really, you know, you've only got yourself to blame. And as I said, those results that I mentioned were, were really key. But another problem or another criticism I have, it's not a massive one, but I, I think Lucien Favre is a manager that has some certain limitations tactically. I think you saw him get out coached by Pochettino, especially in that first leg. And I think in those games that they, they threw away leads, they, I was also at that game against Mainz where they were 2-0 up and... and they almost threw that away. They, were, that they could have easily conceded, conceded an equaliser late on. And even that game against Leverkusen that they won 3-2, they're also quite fortunate there. And you could say in, in all those games that, that Favre got outcoached. You know? one, one thing that really bugs me is that you, know, you see it with a lot of the older managers, particularly Favre and Dieter Hecking, that they're very set in their ways. You know, they, they don't really like to deviate too much from what they think is the best play to waste best way to play football and obviously for Favre here it's, 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 it's the 4 2 three, one with your Witzel and your Thomas Delaney pivot you know and you know you guys know how big I am on predictability and you, you, you can't deny it that every time you line up against Borussia Dortmund you know exactly what they're going to do so you have an advantage straight away um, ir irrelevant of the class of their individual players um, and what really upset me in a way was that I, I was at the, the Champions League game against Tottenham where they, you know, they had to overturn that 3-0 deficit. And he went, you know what, forget the two-man pivot here. Let's just play Witzel and let's just go for it. And they were sensational. They were, they were absolutely blistering in the first half. They were really, really unlucky not to take the lead. Really unlucky not to, to win the game, I thought. You know, Harry Kane just had one chance and put it away. But then you didn't see Favre really do that anymore. You know, you, 
even in the Revia Derby where Schalke were there for the taking, and you know, he, he just always falls back to that four-two-three-one. So I got a little bit of a, a, a criticism for Favre tactically, and as I said, nine points in front, you're really going to be putting that away despite you know having low expectations at the beginning of the season. And no one really thinking that you you were in with a title race. But I remember doing the first show with you guys, you know, when the season started, and, and we said, Dortmund can win this. They definitely can. And they got themselves into a position where they should have, and they didn't. Chris? Yeah, um, it's, it's a difficult one because they have played well at times, but, you know, Matt's quite right. I was at the um, Hertha game where... Um, even when it was 2-1, you could see that at some point, Hertha were going to equalise and maybe snatch a winner. Um, and I think that went through the whole season unless they were really smashing um, goals past teams. So the likes when they destroyed Nuremberg and Stuttgart and also Hanover, but they're teams that they should be beating. But Matt's quite right to pick out the Leverkusen game, which um, was another thrilling game. Also, um, I think Leverkusen away as well was was a, another wonderful game. But that could have gone the other way at times. And and yeah, having such a big points um, gap over your rivals, I don't think that 5-0 whipping in the Allianz actually mattered in the end because they won their home game. So... You know, the points deficit was zero. They they won three and they lost three. It's it's those other areas where they lost it when they came back after um after the winter break and they started well, but then they picked up three points from nine by constantly drawing. I'm I'm not a fan of teams drawing because it gives you this um mental state of oh actually we haven't been beaten. Well well to be honest, you're better getting beaten twice and winning one match than drawing three. You get the same um, number of points it's just it lets you I think sometimes when you get beat it whips you back into shape they were beaten by Augsburg and that did whip them back into shape and then they weren't beaten again until um, they played uh, Bayern but yeah if you're going to look where could they have won the game Manu's already mentioned it it was it was the points drop against Schalke um, at home and then also away at Werder Bremen those picking up just one point available from six um is really telling there because that would have won them the league. I think if they could have put on a real display after they were beaten by Bayern, if they would have gone, okay, it's still potentially in our hands. It's still in our favor. All we've got to do is go out and win our final matches. Um, if they'd done that, they would have won the league. And, and Matt's quite right to mention the, in the things he has, especially with regards predictability. I think that's what undid them in the champions league. Most definitely. Um, and, yeah, it's those two games against Schalke and Werder Bremen. I mean, for Schalke fans, they must be over the moon because, um, I mean, those three points were exceptionally costly in the end to Dortmund. And and yeah, I can understand why everybody will say they're in a transition. They've done exceptionally well. But yeah, when you're nine points in the lead um, and you still have the title in your own hands going into maybe the last five or six games and it doesn't go your way, I think you can be quite rightly disappointed. And I'm pretty sure deep down everyone associated with Dortmund will be disappointed because it was a perfect time for them to to win the league and to take the Meisterschale out of Bavaria and, and bring it back into North Rhine-Westphalia. It's, it's kind of one of those things you can, you can really turn any way you want, you know. But um, 
you know, I think we have to mention too that he was quite unlucky with with defensive injuries and also the the age of his defenders and, and the inexperience. You know, you saw some really good attacking play from Ashraf Hakimi, but also some pretty bad defensive blunders. You'd have to say we also saw Dan Axel Zagadou look like he was going to break through, but then again lose confidence. Um, you know, and make some some key errors. Again, they're they're very young and inexperienced, and again that's something you could look into Favre's favour. We saw Piszczek get injured for you know, quite an important part of the season. Um, and obviously Marcel Schmelzer looked, you know, fall completely out of favour with Favre and even Marius Wolf, who was quite prominent earlier in the season on the, on the right flank there, sort of disappear. And then by the time he came back, you know, his confidence was shattered and, and you know, he couldn't really do much. And even Julian Weigel, you know, had some, some good games, but still a bit sort of dodgy with his, with his passing. Mm. So a lot of things that didn't go in, in Fabra's favour. Of course, well, as we said, you know, the, the new signings and, and, and the youth on the team, but also a lot of stuff in his favour. You know, the production of Jaden Sancho, Marco Royce um, being fit for almost the whole season, of course, missing those few uh, games of suspension, but also Paco Alcacer, who, who would have really predicted he was going to be so devastating despite not being fully fit for most of the the first half of the season or even more. So, and all those late goals that bailed them out. So, you know, it's one of those things you could weigh up and, and kind of argue in either direction. So we need to be a little bit even-handed with it, but I'll stick by what I said with these tactical limitations and also the fact that nine points clear when it's, you know, in your own hands. I agree with you, Chris, that that, that game that they lost in Munich, you know, wasn't really pivotal. And, um, yeah, I think they blew a great opportunity here because I, I disagree a little bit with what you said, Manu. I think Bayern are going to be a lot stronger next year. We're going to have Coman and, and Gnabry really push on. We're going to have those two... If they're healthy. <laughs> we're going to see those two defensive guys, though, Lucas Hernandez and Pavard. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of them. And they're going to really you know, strengthen the, the defence. You know, If Tolisso comes back and, and, and he's fine, then that's going to be another bonus. We've got Goretzka, who's had a year there to, to get used to the pressure and everything. So I think they're going to be stronger, but... You know, still a few little issues with depth if, if, if something happens to Lewandowski and that. But um, going to be fascinating next year. But, yeah, really, really good title race this season. Um, I want to say something about Favre because I think um, the tactical... I've followed Favre's career now for quite a long time at this time in Gladbach, uh, in Nice, and even before that when he was at Berlin and uh, Switzerland. So... I'm a bit surprised about the, the tactical limitations because I think the tactical limitations were really due to the the midfielders that he had, right? And the double pivot. I agree with you, Matt, by the way, that you know it was very predictable what he did in midfield. But I think it's because when he played Dahoud there and Weigel, those two players didn't work out. So he was kind of bound to play in that formation all the time. And I agree that really limited Dortmund, but I don't think that's due to his tactical limitations, but rather than the limitations that he had with his side. And that's why Dortmund said, like, look, we need two transfer windows to to fix all the issues that we want to address, right? And this is why they they after Julian Brandt, and it, it looks like they will get him because that will add a lot more depth to that central midfield core, um, play that role that Dahoud was supposed to fill out, but couldn't for whatever reason. And that's why they're bringing in Torgen Hazard, because he also adds a different element, right? So I actually almost wonder, and of course, Favre will be tested on this next year, if the limitations that we saw with him tactically were due to him or to the squad that he had. Yeah, as I said, I just go back to that game against Tottenham where they were devastating and they only had Witzel in, in, in the pivot. 
And then he did it actually the, the game after that against Stuttgart, but then straight back to the 4-2-3-1 for the rest of the season. So I just can't understand why you had something that was so devastating against, you know, it, apart from Bayern, the, the best team, or you could even argue that Tottenham on Bayern's level, but, you know, they really matched it with Tottenham. Of course, they were at home, but still... Um, why not use that against Schalke and the Revier? Why not just come out and just just smash Schalke? You know, I, I realised they had two men sent off, and, and there were some some you know things that could have gone either way. But this is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. For me, it's just a sign that he falls back into a more familiar, comfortable type uh, tactical setup, and he doesn't want to risk, risk too much, which we knew at the beginning of the season, that that's kind of his, his game. And I think that's kind of held them back a little bit. But as we said, there's so many ifs and buts in, in the season when, you, mm. when you're losing by two points. You could nitpick any game, and you could also do that from... You know the perspective of Bayern Munich, but yeah, my, my issue is what you know. Why not do a bit more of what worked and what was so devastating against Tottenham? Well, if you're the kind of person that just likes watching a basketball game in the fourth quarter, you can just skip to this point in the podcast, and I'll summarise: Bayern won the league. Now let's talk about the race for Europe, Manu. Let's start with your thoughts on a resurgent Bayer Leverkusen. <laughs> I knew you would go over to me with that one. Um, yeah, I didn't quite win the league, so I definitely bottled that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> but they were very good in the second half of the season uh, at times, at spells, and then very bad at times and the spells, but it was sort of enough to get them into the Champions League, um, which on a final day of the season, where we saw all these crazy results, of course, Gladbach losing to Dortmund, right? Um, paving the way for Leverkusen to jump um, ahead of Gladbach into that fourth place, in, literally in the final day of the season. And um, I, I sort of expected Frankfurt to be there, um, to be honest, a few weeks ago, and it didn't quite work out for them. Um, thankfully for them, even though they had an epic collapse towards the end of the season, and Chris said, I think a lot of this was due to the Europa League and just a little bit too thin of a squad to, to play in all those... Uh, big games and then top of that focus on the Bundesliga they kind of ran out of steam but still finishing in seventh that's that's a good result for them and I I think uh, Gladbach you know they they're going to have a very good manager in Marco Rosen next year a manager that I really respect a manager that I'm following in Austria for quite some time as well and 
we, we will bring some interesting football to Gladbach and them in the Europa League. Um, they have they are another set of fans that really like to travel, uh, travel a lot, and you could you could they were really ecstatic about the fact that they were back in Europe. A little disappointed it wasn't the Champions League, but you know Europa League will be great for them as well. And then Wolfsburg, <laughs> you know, beating beating Augsburg eight one on that final day of the season. That was a result that no one really saw coming, and um, they are now in sixth place going to be in the Europa League as well and you know kind of flew under the radar they're the most improved side from last season um, second just ahead of Dortmund um, did those two teams actually from last season to this season are the two most improved sides in German football so Wolfsburg have done a fantastic job and I think we're going to send a very interesting group of clubs um, to Europe next year yeah, when you look at, for example, uh, Frankfurt losing 5-1 on the final day of the season, and if you just landed as an alien from out of space and you were looking at the Frankfurt fans at the end of that game, you'd probably have expected them to be glum, to be sad, if said alien had any concept of winning or losing in a sporting context. But they were actually, despite that defeat, that epic collapse, quite happy at the end. Incredible to see, and that's because... Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt managed to get seventh place with 54 points. So, uh, Chris, when you look at that as the way that Frankfurt will ultimately end their season, what are your thoughts? I'm a little disappointed, to to tell you the truth, because I would have expected um, Frankfurt to finish in the top four and, and the way they've been playing all season, especially earlier on when the Europa League was in its group stages and even when it moved um, you know, to its knockout stages, they were balancing European and league football really, really well. And, and I think that's always a fear I have a German side when they're not used to it is how's that balance? Leipzig have found it really difficult at times since they qualified um, for Europe to balance the, the European battle rhythm. But Frankfurt seemed to just be able to do it with ease. And obviously their front three were knocking the goals in in Europe and they're also knocking the goals in um, back in Germany. And for them to finish in seventh, I think will be really disappointing for them. Um, but if you look how tight the league is, you know, they're seven on 54. By Leverkusen in fourth on 58. They were only four points adrift at the end. And I do think that is all to do with their um, testing run towards the back end of the of the knockout stages of the Europa League competition. And I don't know if Adi Hutter maybe went all in for the Europa League because it was at times it looked like the competition that they could go and win. And I think they were really unlucky to miss out to Chelsea. And I think they were the better side. It was just the penalties that, that knocked them out in the end. And I firmly believe had they gone to Baku, they probably would have beaten Arsenal as well because Arsenal... You don't know what you're getting with them. They've been terrible at times and they've been devastating at others. But I think Frankfurt would have had them on a one-off game in a final. Um, and I think they would have been back to the hills as well inside that stadium, regardless of how difficult it is to get there. So I am, I'm disappointed for Frankfurt that they've not made the Champions League, but I'm not disappointed at their season. They played wonderful football. Let's not forget they've lost a really influential character this time last year when Kovac announced he was going to um, Bayern Munich. They went and won the Pokal, which enabled them to go on this beautiful European run. Um, and I'm hoping that a real early start to um, the season coming in the Europa League qualifying rounds doesn't impact them later on in the season. And I hope they don't get too tired. But I think their experience this season in Europe 
could really give them an edge next season going forward. Um, but I wouldn't expect to see them in seventh next year. I'd like to see them a little bit higher, maybe qualify for the Champions League in their own rights. And they're so unlucky and they'll look back like Dortmund will look back at missed opportunities. But I think I think for Dortmund, their missed opportunities were down to themselves. I think for Frankfurt, it was purely down to tiredness because of the fantastic run they had in the Europa League. Yeah, I think when you look at Eintracht season overall, you know, obviously it started really bad with the demolition in the in the Super Cup and obviously getting knocked out by Ulm in the in the Pokal. But but Adi Hütter slowly got things together here and got got his team working um, with his back three formation. They didn't finish off the year very well, but then they made a couple of key signings with Hinteregger and Roda, and even Torre played a little bit. But yeah, you're right. You know, when I when I was quite strong on them finishing in the, in the top four. I didn't see them getting that far in the Europa League, but it was tremendous that they did. I was fortunate enough to get down there quite a few times for the Europa League games. I also went to, to Milan for that game that they won against Inter. And, you know, when you look at their season, you really just have to look at that game against Benfica, where, of course, Ndika got sent off really early, I think after 20 minutes. So they had to, to really run a lot in that game. And then they came back to the to the Bundesliga and, of course, had Fernandez sent off just after half-time and had to bust it for the, the, the second half there, running around. And of course, they pulled out a really good win against Benfica to, to win 2-0, but they didn't win any of their last six Bundesliga games. Um, I was at the game at, at Leverkusen where Hutter really lost the plot there, just playing for a draw with and changing so much with the formation and, and, and with, with the, uh, the, the line-up. And, yeah, you can really say that the, the Europa League campaign going so far really destroyed their hopes of, of top four, and, and that's what did it. Um, I think most of the celebration yesterday would have been coming from the news that Hoffenheim threw away the win in Mainz, had the players sent off there and, and capitulated late on, so I'm sure they were watching that result really closely because I think if they had have missed out on Europe altogether, that would have been just devastating considering they, were, they literally had the top four in their own hands, but as I said, couldn't win any of their last six games. But this is going to be a crucial off-season, I think. You know, uh, Freddie Bobic, if this Jovic rumour is correct and he's going for, for 50, 60 million, then they're going to have to do well to, to reinvest that money. And, of course, if they really want to push on and be um, consistent, consistently finishing in the European places, they're going to have to do better than, than, than what you saw with the likes of Heidel at, at Schalke, where you could say that Bobic has done well looking for a certain type of player from a certain type of uh, budget, and you know whether they can keep, keep hitting the jackpot, and they've had so much success, you just wonder if, that's, if it's sustainable to, to, to keep going. You'd like to think it is. You'd like to think that the whole scouting network there is really on the ball because they've just made so many fantastic signings. And, um, yeah, I've, I've really... Got a got a soft spot for for Einstein. As you saw, their their supporters when they go away um, in in the Europa League was just amazing. The the, the amount of people that, that that went to support that team just taking over stadiums like the San Siro, unbelievable. And yeah, to not have them in Europe would have really been been a shame. So I'm I'm really happy they made it, although slightly disappointed that they they couldn't finish in fourth spot. 
Well, Matthew's really happy and also he mentioned uh, Hoffenheim so it would be right that we look at their results and actually the legacy of Nagelsmann. They were 2-0 up against Mainz and uh, if you want goals Hoffenheim are a great team to watch. They ended up losing 4-2. They tend to score a lot of goals away from home. I think without looking this up I'm going to confidently say the most goals away from home in the top league in Europe. Manu, Nagelsmann's legacy what will it be? We knew he was going to go. That may have affected some of the players and might be the reason they didn't push on in the league. Yeah, there were some critical voices yesterday among the press, among people that I talked to in, in Gladbach. Um, I'm not so sure you can be too critical because every time he got them into two fourth, first of all, he, he saved them from relegation, then two fourth place finishes. The second time, of course, they got them straight into the Champions League. Um, you have to remember that they lost some key players and every year they do. Hoffenheim are not a big club. They're the the sort of club by the budget and size of the town and area that they're in that usually will be, you know, they can be happy if they're like a mid-table side. And you see that with the sort of signings that they have made um, since since Nagelsmann's left. So Nagelsmann has overperformed with, with Hoffenheim. And I, I think that everyone in, in Hoffenheim is going to recognize that and is going to recognize that it's going to be very difficult for them to re- replace Nagelsmann. Schröder, of course, the head coach who's coming in, the former assistant, um, he's, he's, going to have, uh, he's going to have to work really hard. So there was a question of if that's the result this year is going to hurt his legacy. I don't, I don't think so at all. Um, I think that he did a wonderful job there. And yes, he didn't get them into Europe this year, but to get a club out like Hoffenheim into Europe in you know really just three seasons in a bit two times is quite an achievement totally agree what will be next for Hoffenheim only time will tell we are slightly running out of time we must talk about Bundesliga 2 uh, Paderborn a team I've had the pleasure of watching live and in the flesh some fervent fans they've got there uh, they got promoted so we might sound like we're having a round table discussion and we're all in the same place but I'm actually in Gibraltar and uh, Chris is in the UK and you've got uh, Matthew in Germany and Manu in Germany so I'm just going to shout, who wants to tackle Bundesliga 2? And whoever comes back to me first can jump on this one. <laughs> I'll do it, Matt. i do it. There we go. <laughs> this used to be a competition that I used to have to follow because my club was in it when it was, you know, back in the good days. Um, I love the story, the Paderborn story. I-, I can't get enough of it. I know Chris is probably at this point muted me as well because he had to listen to it for three weeks straight. Um, the fact that they went almost all the way down to the Regionalliga from the Bundesliga and now are straight back up from the depth after my club rescued them from because we went bankrupt and that meant they didn't go down to the Regionalliga and the bottleneck that it takes to get up from the Regionalliga. That's an amazing story. Um, I don't think they're going to do much in the Bundesliga next year. That's, they're probably my number one candidate to go straight back down. And maybe go on another roller coaster ride. But right now, this is the most incredible story there is. And, you know, what a way of doing it, too, because it seemed like no one really wanted to go up today. Um, when I look at the results, the fact that, you know, um, Paderborn lost to Dresden, but Union Berlin failed to get a result against Bochum, only drawing 2 2 and missing out on direct uh, promotion and now having to play against Stuttgart. Um, yeah, it's it's Bundesliga two is so wonderfully crazy. It's a league that you never know the results. You never really know how it could all end up. I mean, Chris and I we chatted about this plenty. We all thought Hamburg would go surely up. They missed out on it in the end. 
And um, now, and I know Chris, you probably want to talk about this. It looks like Union Berlin are in it to bottle it once again. Union Berlin are a fantastic side and they've got great support and they've got a phenomenal stadium. But the last few seasons, when it's come down to the crunch, unfortunately, they've just fallen down the wayside at the, the last moment. Now, I am really glad that they've got themselves into this two-legged game with Stuttgart, but can they do it? Because really, we're looking at a side that should today have gone up um, automatic promotion. It was in their own hands. Um, all they had to do was win their game and then hope that something else would happen. And that hope did happen. Obviously, Dianamo Dresden beat Paderborn 3-1, but they just went searching for a last-minute goal in added time again. And yeah, it's, it's disappointing for Union, but they've got a chance against Stuttgart. I just fancy Stuttgart might pull it out of the bag now and and get the results that they need. I'm also a little bit concerned about Union travelling. I don't think they particularly travel that well. Um, I think the game in the in the forest will be will be one to watch um way back when is it it's on next tuesday or next monday um next monday isn't it that will be one to watch i've just got a feeling it might be over by then though unfortunately for union but yeah it's it's a disappointing one for um hamburg i would have thought they would have joined um cologne in the top two places and, and they haven't um and it's an extended stay for them. Um, I would have also liked to have seen Heidenheim maybe in the playoffs as well, especially um, what they did in the Allianz and how well they played. They looked like they've got the ability. I think it's a, it's a little bit different doing it over 90 minutes versus doing it, you know, for all the games a season. Um, 34 games a season versus just a, a one-off game in the Allianz is a little different. But... Um, I'm sure Paderborn will enjoy being back in the Bundesliga um, if they're there this time next season. I'll be shocked. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Hennies, the mascot for 1FC Cologne, back in the Bundesliga, if nothing else. And uh, the relegation playoff was always exciting. I actually wish that was something that was a feature in uh, British football as well. And hey, maybe one day. The DFB Pokal final is where we will pretty much wrap things up. So to preview this, uh, Manu, we'll, we'll start with you. This is definitely a defining match for German football, but why? Well, it 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 always is. In some ways, it sets the stage. It like kind of sets the the, the tone and um, it's kind of like a barometer to see where the, the league is at and where the competition is at. And of course, last year we had signs that Bayern might have a more difficult time because they got beaten in that final by Frankfurt. Now they're facing RB Leipzig, who I think is going to be maybe their biggest competitor down the road for the, for the title period because RB Leipzig, of course, they're called Rasenballsport. We all know that RB also stands for Red Bull. Um, no coincidence there, by the way. It's just, you know, it's just how it is. But, um, you know, they have a huge investment there and they invest in the right way. They don't just put money into the club and hope for the best. They, they have a very good strategy. And I think slowly but surely, even when they do lose key players, they, they always have a way to find new players that can replace those players. And I think they really want to set the tone and show Bayern, okay, um, we're going to try to beat you, win this cup and set the tone for the next, few years down the road where we don't only want to challenge you in this competition but also for the Bundesliga title and we, we, we will take us some time to maybe get there because we have to grow naturally we're not like some other clubs you know that cheat their way to the top by just spending money and uh, maybe 
cooking books. We don't want to do this. We have to do this naturally, so it's going to take some time. But we'll be there. Watch it. We'll be there. And um, we're going to show you that we're going to be there maybe sooner than you like in this cup final. So I'm really curious to see it. I'm, I'll be there at this game on on Saturday, and I think it's going to be one of those defining games just like last year's final was where I was with Chris. Well, Chris, that's a perfect opportunity for you to leap in and give us your thoughts on the final. Um, I think that um, I'll be Leipzig will win. I've just got this nagging feeling. Last season, Manu's quite right. Um, we went to a really um, kitsch pre-Pokal party with uh, El Freunde at the, the 11 Friends magazine over in, in Berlin. And walking into that party, I just had this feeling that Frankfurt would win. And I've got the similar one, but it's now saying it's now telling me that RB Leipzig are going to win. And in some ways, I hope they don't win because I would hate to see Kovac fired. And, and I think if he doesn't win the double, he might be fired. And I don't think he's done anything wrong to be fired. I think he's potentially the, the wrong man um, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's nothing to do with his credentials. Um, so if he does win the double, maybe he'll survive and be able to lead by next season. I think he's got the ability to do that. But I've just got this nagging feeling, Hal, in the back of my mind that RB Leipzig are going to win 2-1. Wow, he could be, in a week's time, burned as a witch. And that would be quite right if Chris Williams is correct. But having worked closely with Chris, it's unlikely that he will be. Uh, <laughs> Matthew, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this could definitely go either way. You know, there, there's no comparison between Ralph Rangnick and Nico Kovac, although that doesn't always pan out, uh, as we saw last season. But, you know, Rangnick has a big uh, advantage over Kovac here in experience. And I think he would have left a few things up his sleeve from the uh, the Bundesliga meeting a, a couple of weeks ago. So definitely a really, a really hard game to call. I'm sure Bayern will be favourites with the bookmakers, but... You know, Leipzig are a good team. We've seen Alstenberg and Klosterman come back this season, which has really, you know, strengthened their defence. We've seen uh, Gulashi easily, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga. And they've strengthened with with the the central midfield with Tyler Adams and also Haidara. So a lot of options. You know, Yusuf Paulson's been really good this season. And obviously we know what Timo Werner is capable of. So a lot of strength in this team, neutral venue, anything can happen. I'm looking, I'm looking really forward to it. Well, as we come to a close on this uh, Gagan Pressing podcast, it would be wrong if we didn't mention those teams leaving the Bundesliga. It's been known for some time. Uh, Nuremberg, uh, my side, Hanover 96. I always like to find a positive when talking about Hanover. And they lost the most games. So they, they did achieve something better than anybody else. And, of course, we will remain to be seen. What will happen with Stuttgart in that relegation playoff? Well, it just leaves me to say uh, thank you, tremendously to uh, Manu, Chris and Matthew. Thank you very much, chaps, for having me back. Who knows when the next time will be on the Gagan Pressing German Football Podcast from the Football Grad Network. Thank you all. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude Über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy. 
right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.